We're going to continue today in our series in the Gospel of John. How many of you are enjoying John? Show of hands. Cheryl and I were talking um, this morning about how when you study one of the Gospels, you get the, the influence of the Gospel writer into you. Like their influence begins to influence you. And so John was known as John the Beloved. And so I, I told her this morning, I was like, as I study through John, the deeper we go, the more I just, I get drawn into God's love for me. And it's incredible. And so it just, I'm just loving this series. And today I'm, I'm going to preach one of my, probably one of my new favorite Bible stories. And it's on, the, it's on Lazarus. <laughs> and... Uh, so, yeah, let me say this real quick. Also, every Wednesday we put out a little bit of content as a rewind from today's message. So this coming Wednesday we will post on our social media pages uh, a rewind. It's called The Rewind, and it's just me, very, very short, just kind of recapping the message, maybe adding something or uh, talking about something that really stuck out to me. And so I would encourage you to listen to that and to share it. You'd be surprised at how many people actually follow us on social media but don't show up on Sunday yet. Yet, right? Okay. Because we love people and we love to be in person, right? Are y'all that hungry you can't even respond to a brother this morning? I mean, I'm, I'm asking questions. I'm putting butter on the bread and nobody's taking the bread. <laughs> Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for the story of Lazarus. I thank you, Jesus, for your part in Lazarus' life. Open our eyes. Open our heart. Open our understanding today. Help us to see you like we've never seen you before, Jesus. In your name, amen. So today I want to talk to you about timing, in particular God's timing. And I want to show you how Jesus is always perfect in his timing. Maybe he didn't show up one time for you like you thought he should have showed up or when he should have showed up, and you got this this stinking thinking inside of you now that, well, Jesus kind of, you know, he does his own thing, and he's never really on time. Well, let me correct that today because you're wrong in thinking that because Jesus, according to the Bible, is always perfect in his timing. And so the title of today's message is The Glory of Timing. The Glory of Timing. Write this down real quick before I get into the message. Uh, If if you're taking notes, delay is not always denial. Delay is not always denial. So we're in John chapter 11, and uh, we're going to go through the story of Lazarus today. It's a phenomenal story, and I want to put pull out six basic points, six things that I want to just unpack from John 11 today, and I'm going to give them to you one at a time, and I want you to see something in all of this today. The first one is, is the request, the request. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Starting in verse 1, it says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. 
So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, here's the message, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Stop. That's the message. That's the request. They send a message. Jesus was not in their hometown. He was not close by. They had to send a message to get to him. It it wasn't a text message. Come on, somebody. It wasn't an email. It wasn't messenger. It was probably written on a piece of paper or told to somebody who's trustworthy. And they had to travel the thing all the way to where Jesus was. And all they sent was, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. That's interesting. Because you can learn a lot about their relationship in the request. They were really close. According to these three verses, what I understand is that Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus were best of friends. They were, had been intimate together in the sense of they were close together. I'm not talking about sexually, but they were intimate together. They, they got close to one another. They probably had deep conversations. They probably walked through some trials together, spent some time together. If they were in South Louisiana, they would have had ball crawfish together. Come on, somebody. A little etouffee or something. Like they would have broke some pot open and cooking pot. <laughs> Y'all best stay straight. I'm just telling you. They sent a message. Watch this now with an expectation that Jesus would respond quickly. They didn't go into much detail because a lot was assumed in the relationship. All they said was, your dear friend is very sick. And they felt as though that was enough to get Jesus' attention, enough for Jesus to move on their behalf. All they needed to send was, Lord, your dear friend is very sick, period. Huh. It wasn't a 911. It wasn't a talking to your blue in the face to try to convince Jesus. It was, Lord, your dear friend is very sick, Their relationship was in a place where they didn't feel the need to ask Jesus to do anything specific. They didn't need to tell Jesus how to do his job. Ah. They didn't waste any time presuming that he would do what they said he would do, what they said they would do. They just said, Lord, your dear friend is very sick because the relationship was so good, they just assumed by by history, that Jesus would, it would get Jesus' attention and he would move on Lazarus' behalf because there was such a deep, intimate relationship between them and Jesus. So the way they came to Jesus, the way they messaged Jesus, the way they requested Jesus said a lot about the relationship. It says a whole lot about the relationship. When you pray with people, you get an inside view of their relationship with Jesus. Whoa, just go pray with somebody. And when they pray out loud, not that we judge prayers, but you can really tell where they are with Jesus. And there's grace for people that are brand new to Jesus. Listen, when you're brand new with Jesus, you're going to talk a lot. 
and you're going to listen little. But when you've been walking with it for a long time, you don't have to use all those words anymore. Because a lot gets assumed in the relationship. They only felt the need to communicate the problem. They didn't feel the need to come up with their own solution. If you don't come up with your own solution and then Jesus doesn't meet your solution the way you thought he was going to meet it, then you don't have to face disappointment. If you trust him just to take care of the problem, however he sees fit to take care of the problem, and you don't even throw your expectations at him, you're not even set up for disappointment. Some of you are believing God for other people, and you already got it built in your mind how those people are going to come back to God. You're probably wrong. And you've set yourself up for disappointment. Just tell Jesus the problem and trust him with the solution. Sometimes I feel like I don't have the audacity to tell Jesus how to fix something. Who the heck am I? Who am I that I think I can dictate how Jesus is going to fix my problem? And then when he don't fix it that way, have the audacity again to get mad at him. Well, I'm not mad. No, you're mad. You're standing in the corner and you won't even look at him or talk to him. You ain't no different than them toddlers you used to raise. <laughs> Too many Christians are like. <laughs> I only need to communicate the, the need and then trust Jesus with the outcome it's not my responsibility to determine the outcome, only to communicate the need. How you come to Jesus says a lot about the depth of your relationship with Jesus. If you're still praying some 911 prayers and you've supposedly been walking with Jesus for 10 years, I'm just going to tell you today, it might hurt your feelings, but you ain't as close as you think you are. Because over 10 years, you should have grown in your faith and your trust that Jesus knows. Jesus has been there before. You got some history with Jesus. He knows you trust that he's going to show up however he sees fit. You've already learned that his ways are higher than my ways. Come on, somebody. So you're not freaking out. You're not running to him like, oh, God. <laughs> you're first born again. Freak out. But after a little while, you got to start maturing in your relationship. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus had what I call a high trust relationship. High trust. Not many of us have high trust relationships. High trust relationships don't have to communicate all the time. Watch this now. And they don't have to use very many words because it's a high trust environment. When Cheryl and I were first dating, we tried to talk all the time because we were getting to know one another. But after 25 years of marriage, we can sit down next to each other, drink coffee, not have to say many words, and have had a great time because presence overcame the volume of words. 
So how you come to Jesus says a lot about the depth of your relationship with Jesus. Now listen to me clearly. I want to I want to just clear something up. I'm not saying that you got to get all this right and you got to fix all this so that you can pretend to be in this deep relationship with Jesus. I'm not ever going to teach you to fake it. I'm telling you right now when you're new to Jesus, it's going to be different than when you get a little bit older with Jesus. I'm just saying that something in your communication with Jesus needs to be growing. So don't fake it. Don't fake it to make everybody think you're deeply spiritual. Don't do that because we can read that like a book. Don't do that. Be real, be legit, but just be understanding that it's going to grow. It's got to grow. It, it's like this. When you, when you go to a new doctor or when you hire a new contractor or you hire a new babysitter, that's a low-trust environment. That's a low-trust relationship. You don't know these people very well. Maybe the doctor, you had some recommendations for some friends, so then you called, you set an appointment, but then you started to ask a lot of questions, right? You're asking a lot of questions because it's low trust. So you go to the doctor the first time with a bit of anxiety because you've not met him before, you've not sat under his care before, and you're not sure what he's going to do, and you're hoping that what your friend said is true, and so you walk into that moment, and then you start to build trust. Are you tracking with me? That's low trust. So you're asking a ton of questions. You're not sure yet. Versus high trust relationship, is, it's built on the fact that I'm already sure. So Mary and Martha sent a message that said, Lord, your dear friend is very sick because they were sure that he was going to do something about it. It was high trust. It wasn't low trust. They didn't come with a beggar's mentality. They came with someone who's got history with Jesus with that mentality. This is making sense. So the request. The second thing I want to show you is his response. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said... <laughs> Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Nope. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Lord, your dear friend is very sick. It's going to take two days to get the message to him. High trust relationship, knowing that even he could speak the word from where he was and Lazarus would, come, would be healed. They knew that. They understood that. They seen that before. They send the message, Lord, your dear friend's very sick. Jesus says, it's not going to end in death. All of this is for the glory of God. We're going to stay right here for two more days. How do you think Martha and Mary felt about that? What? You're not going to freak out with me, Jesus? You're not going to worry with me, Jesus? 
You're not going to get anxious with me, Jesus? What do you mean you're going to stay there, Jesus? You're not going to do this, Jesus? What? What kind of response is that? What kind of response is it when Jesus doesn't do what you dictate for him to do? What kind of a response is it when he doesn't do what you expect him to do, whether you dictate it or not? We all have expectations that rarely get communicated, and in our minds we expect him to do certain things. What kind of response is it when he goes, no, I ain't going to do it that way? How does that make you feel? How are you going to respond when Jesus says no? Not right now. Jesus' response shows that he already knew the outcome. He decided to delay for a specific reason. Which you could easily take from that, if Jesus chooses to delay, then he's got a really good reason for the delay. It was far glory. Glory for the Father and also glory for Jesus. So all of this happened with, with Lazarus. Lazarus got very sick and Lazarus died all for God to get the glory. Now that may sound sick, sadistic, and, and weird to you, and you wouldn't be wrong in thinking that, that God would let Lazarus suffer and die so that he could get glory. What kind of God do we serve that people have to suffer for him to get some attention? These are good questions that aren't even in my notes. What kind of God do we serve that he needs this much attention? Because what? let's unpack glory for a second. What is glory? Anybody ever wonder what glory is? Okay, nobody. Y'all know I ain't going to tell you then. I need a little bit of reaction from the folks today. I, I, we got hamburgers. Don't worry. They're not going to burn them. They're going to be fine. To glory is to draw your attention to, to focus on, to give everything that you have to him. That's to give him glory. It's to see him in the, in the state of he's my God, he's my provider, my everything, my all in all. I give him glory by giving him my attention, my focus, my affections, my, my things. That's glory. Why does God need all of that from us? Well, he's God. <laughs> Let's not forget that fact. He's God, and he created you. He knit you together in your mama's womb. He wired you the way you are. You have that personality because that's the personality he wanted you to have. You got that many hairs on your head because that's how many he trusted you with. 
Because he's God. And he did all of this for us. Is it too much for him to expect some glory from us? Then there's this other part of the equation where, where Jesus knew that, that God needed to be glorified, but that God would also make the, he would connect the dots between Jesus who was on the planet and God who was up in heaven. So God needed to be glorified in this, in this so that Jesus could be glorified also so that the people who are around them could see the connection between Jesus and God. So if you're suffering for a minute and he's delayed, don't think it's denial. He's just setting the stage for people to see him in your situation. So what if your situation ain't as much about you as it is the people that are drawn to you? But if to understand that, you got to flip the script in your mind because anytime you go through a situation, you make it about you and Jesus is making it about others. Right? So we get the poor pitiful me. I'm suffering. I'm going, oh, somebody help me. Please, please help me. It ain't about you. What if the things you're currently walking through are for his glory? What if it's not to hurt you but to glorify him? Jesus responded with a delay. And I wonder how many times we see his delay as denial and we give up. We give up. And he's left there going, I was just about to show up. And you bailed out. You remember when he took the three disciples and he went to the garden to pray and, and he said, stay here and pray. I'm going a little bit further. And then he came back and he's like, you couldn't even tarry with me this long? They were all sleeping. They fell asleep in the prayer meeting. Jesus is like, you couldn't carry with me. I mean, tarry with me. You couldn't go with me this long. They expected Jesus to do things that he did not do. He decided not to do what they expected. Write this down. His, his will is greater than our expectations. His will is greater than my expectations. Here's the question. Can you accept that? Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Watch this, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What is his will for your life? It is good, it is pleasing, and it is perfect. But you're going to have to let him transform you by changing the way you think. What do you think he's 
doing in this story. He's changing the way Martha and Mary think. He's changing the way his disciples think. He's showing them something different so that they would know his will for them is good, pleasing, and perfect. Amen? So although Jesus loved them, he didn't move until he was ready. This is where our faith gets really tested. When he doesn't move, when we want him to move. Right? That's when your faith gets tested. Well, how does my faith get tested? Well, what do you do? How do you respond when he don't do what you told him to do? That's your faith being tested. Will you trust him when it doesn't seem like he's moving? And in typical Jesus fashion, all of a sudden, he says, all right, let's go. (laughs) All right, let's go. It's time to go see Lazarus. I bet the disciples were like, wait, what? I thought we were hanging out. Charles Spurgeon said this. It's worth listening to. It says, the Lord speaks of things not as they seem to be, nor even as they are in the present moment, but as they shall be in the long run. The Lord speaks of things how they shall be in the long run. So maybe you're not understanding him because you're in the short run, but he's in the long run. You're getting all wrecked up in the short run, but he's speaking in terms of the long run. Number three, the lessons. There's always lessons. Look at your neighbor and say, you learn them lessons? <clears throat> you learned some good lessons lately? Verse 8, but his disciples, so Jesus said, let's go, but his disciples re- objected. They said, Rabbi, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replies, There's 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there's a danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. I love the Bible. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. (laughs) And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, now you will really believe. Which meant that they didn't quite so really believe up to this point. Bad English, good point. Now... You will really believe. In other words, you believed a little bit here, but like now you're going to really believe. Oh, my gosh. Jesus is setting the stage. He knows what's coming. He knows what's next. He's bringing the people he loves with him to journey with him all the way to this thing so that they can't believe more than they've ever believed. (laughs) The disciples objected. Jesus starts class. No, Lord, we can't go back. How many of us say that to the Lord? No, Lord, we can't do that. 
Watch this now. Some of you got this image of Jesus that when you say, no, Lord, we can't do that, he's going to strike you in the head and then turn his back on you. That's not what he did with the disciples. He didn't even correct their objection. They said no, and Jesus started class. Hmm. No? Really? You're going to learn today, boys. You're going to learn today. Class has just started, and he takes them to school. Look at five lessons Jesus teaches them right then and there. Number one, he teaches them that fear is not a good decision-making strategy. Fear is not the best way to make a good decision. It's not a good strategy. If fear consumes you, don't make a decision. Go to the Lord and wrestle out your fear. And when fear has left and faith has come, then make your decision. Because if you make a decision when you're consumed with fear, it's going to be wrong. Because it's a fear-based decision. Ah. Fear is not a good making strategy, no, good decision-making strategy. Number two, there is a timing to everything. Have you ever considered that it's just not the right time? I've been praying for a tractor. I want a green tractor with a cab on it and a front loader, four-wheel drive, about 75 to 100 horsepower. I want a big old bush hog on the back, and I'm praying, Lord, I need a tractor. I need a tractor, Lord, a green tractor, Lord. Lord, I need a tractor. You know what he keeps telling me? It ain't time yet. And every time I think it's time, I'm like, you see, I could have used the tractor. He says, shut up, boy, it ain't time. There's a timing to everything. Amen? Amen. Number three, we don't sneak around at night. We operate in the day. God's people move in the day. They don't sneak around. There's nothing for us to hide. We got the power of the universe. We got the king of glory on our side. There's no reason to hide. I don't operate at night where nobody can see. I don't sneak around. I'm not a sneaky Christian. We're going to show up in the day, and we're going to do kingdom work in the day where everybody can see it in the daylight. <laughs> Number four, we don't always understand, but Jesus does. One of the greatest blessings of being in a relationship with Jesus is that he knows everything and I don't. And I get to ask him, and he gets to tell me. That's a beautiful thing. Number five, Jesus wants us to experience his works firsthand. He don't want you to stay a secondhand Christian, living off of other people's stories. He wants to show you his glory in your story. He wants you to feel a moment. He wants you to, to be in an impactful moment, maybe high emotion and a miracle type of moment because just like he wanted his disciples to finally believe, he wants us to finally believe. They said, no, Jesus went to school. Come on, somebody. You're always going to be learning. Amen? Number four, their response.
How many of you know we always respond? A no response is still a response. A hanging bottom lip is still a response. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Their response, verse 20, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said, Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. Hang on to that last sentence. We're going to get to it in a minute. But Martha came out with a, Lord, if only. Lord, if only. Now, a couple things to consider. Number one, it was pretty cool of Martha to hear that Jesus was coming and not sit there and wait on Jesus to show up. She went and she pursued Jesus. Ah, some of you sit around too long. Some of you are sitting and waiting on Jesus too long. When are you going to move to him? When are you going to pursue him? Martha got up out the house and said, Lord, I'm coming. But then she responds. She responds with a, Lord, if only. In modern day terms, that would be the what if thinking. Lord, if only you would have showed up, my brother would still be alive. Lord, if only you would have showed up, he wouldn't have suffered. Lord, if only you would have showed up, we wouldn't be in pain right now. Lord, if only you would have showed up, we wouldn't have to walk through this mess right now. If only you would have showed up. If only, if only, if only. If you live by the if-onlys in life, you'll die by the if-onlys in life. The if-onlys have killed more dreams and more Christians and more purpose than anything else has. Mary remained in the house. Martha sent a message to Mary, said, Jesus is here. He wants to see you. Mary came running too. Can you see the depth of the relationship? Jesus didn't show up on purpose, and their brother died. He didn't even speak the word from where he was, and their brother died, and yet they're still responding to Jesus. How many of us have lost dreams, hopes, loved ones, prodigals? And in doing so, turned our back on Jesus. She too responded with the if only statement. <laughs> Life would be better, Lord, if only you would have showed up. Which tells me that Mary and Martha were also talking about the if only. They must have had a conversation about if only Jesus would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. If only Jesus would be here, we wouldn't be walking in this pain. You know what's funny about if only people? They're attracted to one another. You need some friends that don't live in if only land. So when you get into an if-only mindset, they can call you out. Amen, Pastor. 
Can you see how this can so discourage you if you live with the if-onlys of life? Now maybe you can see why so many believers are defeated. You could easily boil it down to the fact that Jesus didn't show up the way they thought he should have showed up, and they lived in the, and they got into the if-only mindset, and then they stayed there too long, and now that's the land that they live in. Oh, that, that if-only mindset visits me often. Can I just be real with you this morning? If only is always tagging behind me, looking for an opportunity to whisper in my ear, you know, if Jesus would just have done this, and then this would have happened, and you wouldn't even be having to walk through this right now. It hurts, don't it? It hurts bad. Do you like being in this place? No, I don't like being in this place. Well, if only Jesus would have showed up, you wouldn't be in this place. If only is always sneaking around behind me, trying to get me to, to, to partake in his thinking and live in his land. I have to use the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God to say, I'm not going there. Yeah, if Jesus would have done what I said, maybe this would have happened, but maybe not. But either way, I'm still going to trust him because I know he knows more than I knows. Amen? But don't get mad at him. Don't get mad at Mary and Martha. They're just human. They're just human. You know, sometimes we beat ourselves up because we're just human. Sometimes we just... We just don't know who we are. Sometimes we just don't know better. I can't live behind that excuse. I'm just human. This is all I know right now. You see, they understood death as final. Like nothing could happen now that he died. They had faith all the way up to death, but they didn't have faith beyond death. They understood, and this is where they were, we're not kicking them because they're human, they understood that once somebody died, that was it. And it with, well, with, with good reason. I can't blame them for, for thinking that way. That, that would make sense to me too, especially in their time because they didn't have this John chapter 11 like we do. They were living out the John chapter 11. You know what's really cool about Jesus is he's writing the story of your life, and maybe you haven't read your outcome yet. Maybe you haven't seen it on printed page, but can you just trust him to write it anyway? Even though Jesus didn't do what they expected, they still trusted him. How do you know they trusted him, Pastor? Well, when he called, they came. They connected with him again. Even in the middle of the pain. I can't tell you how many times I've seen well be, well, well, well. Meaning, well-meaning. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've seen well-meaning Christians, the minute something happens, turn their back and walk away from Jesus. 
And as a pastor, I'm sitting there going, hold up, swole up. He was about to move. Can I, can I tell you I've seen too many marriages at the brink of death? And I can see it. Cheryl can see it. The God's about to move. And they go off and do something random. I moved out. I filed. It's over. It's dead. What? You gave up that easy? Watch this. When Jesus allows your faith to be tested, it doesn't mean that he quit loving you or that he's mad at you. It simply means that he's checking to see if you're ready to move on to other things. <laughs> so when your faith gets tested, don't boudet, don't throw a fit, don't fall on the floor. Ask for strength, ask for courage, read your Bible, go to the people that God's placed in your life and find some encouragement, and keep on trusting him because maybe he's testing you for what's next because he's not mad at you for what you did in the past. Uh. Hi, my name is Jamie. I don't like it when my faith gets tested. It hurts my feelings, it disrupts my comfort, and it stirs things up in my life that I thought were settled. But I've learned over the years that if I'll just keep trusting him, he's got a greater plan and a greater purpose. And I've realized he didn't do it and this didn't happen because he's mad at me. He's, he's allowed it to happen because he's testing me, because he wants to promote me to the next thing, because it's, it's long been overdue that I get out of this season and go into the next. So he's just seeing what's inside of me. He ain't mad at me. The devil's lied, for me to, lied to me too long. He's not mad at me. Listen, how do I know Jesus is not mad at me? Because I trust him to correct me when I make mistakes. So therefore, he's not sitting over there quiet, building up all this angry pressure against me that he's just looking for a moment to strike me across the head. That's not the Jesus I serve. The Jesus I serve will sit with me, walk with me, tarry with me, and tell me what I'm doing wrong. If he don't like my attitude, he'll tell me. If he don't like what I said, he'll tell me. If I walked in sin, he'll call me back to himself. He's not mad at me. And he's not mad at you. He loves you enough to correct you. People that don't love you get mad at you because they don't love you enough to tell you the truth. So I love the fact that Mary and Martha, they're just, they're just real with Jesus. I mean, think about this. They walked up to Jesus like, Lord, if only you'd have been here. That's raw emotions, right? That's being real, right? 
Number five, we need to unpack Jesus' emotions in all of this because he felt something too. Come on, hang in with me. (laughs) Jesus' emotions, number five, look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, you see? You see how much he loved him? But some said this man could have, he, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Jesus has emotions too, yeah. It ain't just you. Have you ever considered how he feels about something? I'm going to punch you in the nose. Halloween's coming. Have you ever considered how he feels about Halloween? You were doing good, Pastor. You just hit the curb. You just hit the curb. You ran the truck in the ditch. Like I was with you. Like, oh, man, this is a good message. And he brought up Halloween. Why he always bring up Halloween? Because it's demonic, yo. You can't wash evil, period. So have you ever considered how he feels about Halloween? You ain't trick-or-treating up in his house, but you're going to go trick-or-treat up in the devil's time? Boy, this don't grow a church, though. I'll tell you something. (laughs) It don't grow a church. People get mad at you, quit, won't come back. (laughs) <laughs> I, I just, you know, I love Jesus enough to just say what needs to be said. Whatever he puts on my heart, it wasn't even in my notes. Boom, there you go. Every year, I swear, I'm not going to say anything about Halloween and <laughs> Shazam. <laughs> Watch out, Easter's next <laughs> and Christmas. No, I'm joking. Y'all going to start skipping out on, on holidays. Actually, Halloween's not a holiday. So Jesus shows his emotion two ways in this situation. It's shown as anger and weeping. Those are the two things that come out of Jesus in this moment. Anger and weeping. Let's unpack that. He showed anger uh, twice and he showed weeping once. That word anger is a modern translation of an older word that they used to translate his emotion, it was the word groan. Jesus was groaning. In the Greek, that word is a big old word that I can't say. It just it won't roll off my tongue. I practice and I practice, but it just won't roll off my tongue. You can look it up. But to groan in the Greek meant to do this. To snort, this is crazy. It means to snort like a horse. So when the Bible says that Jesus was angry, he snorted like a horse. Ah. I'm going to buy you an extra hamburger today. 
He went. Most horses do this. I don't think Jesus did that. That would have been a little bit too weird. But I think he groaned inside and he went. You ever had something that disrupted you inside so hard that you just sat there and you just went. I never forget, I lost one of my best friends in an accident. And I remember driving to go meet his family who was 45 minutes away. And I had all these emotions racing around in me. But the one I remember the most was this deep groaning. I think the whole ride, I just, I just sat there and went. Just something inside of me was unsettled. Watch this. Jesus shows emotion. He feels certain things about things in our lives. He feels emotions about you. He was feeling an emotion or several emotions about the situation, about Lazarus, about Martha and Mary and all those who came to, to mourn. And he felt emotion about the disciples and he's carrying that and he lets it out in a snort like a horse. He just. <sighs> what was he groaning about? You ask good questions. It was a deep groan to show his frustration and anger against the power of the enemy to bring death. He didn't like what death does. If you want to go a little further, he didn't like his people feeling pain. He didn't like them weeping. He didn't like them wailing. He didn't like what death does to his people. And he still feels that way today. He was angry at Satan for bringing about death to his friend. Angry at the destruction of death. He didn't like it. But he already knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Doesn't mean he doesn't have any emotion about it. Come on. He knows what's going to happen in your life, and he's got emotions about that. <laughs> but you're going to have to rem rem remember that Jesus is not emotion-led. He's spirit-led. And just because you're spirit-led doesn't mean that you have an absence of emotions. It just, it just means that emotions don't dictate my next step. The spirit does while I feel this way. So you can be in your feelings and still be led by the Holy Spirit at the same time. Can I get an amen? And then it says that Jesus wept. You know what he said? When he wept, do you know what you say when you show your emotions? Have you ever stopped to consider how other people feel and what you communicate when you act on your emotions or you show your emotions? 
Maybe people won't share things with you because of the way you show your emotions. Have you ever stopped to consider that how I show my emotions right now affects the people around me? You want to give up on life. You want to walk out. You're done with this. And you're just throwing it up on everybody. Your kids, your spouse, your friends, your cousins. And you never stop to consider how this makes them feel. You can flip the script. And say, when I'm joyous and I'm hopeful and I'm excited and I'm happy, if you want to use that one, that silly one. But when I'm, I'm excited about something, have you ever considered how that might make somebody else feel? It works both ways. Jesus felt a certain way about this situation and he showed it. And when he wept, he told them, I'm human too. He showed his humanity. I feel pain also. He said to them when he cried in their situation, he said to them, I have compassion for you also. Some of you see Jesus as stone cold Steve Austin. He's not. Jesus is loving and compassionate. He communicated when the tears came down his cheek that I love you and I feel what you're feeling in this moment and I'm with you. He communicated connection. Amen? Number six. I got to hurry up because you're getting hungry. I can hear your stomach's growling. Number six. We have to learn how to overcome barriers to miracles. We have to learn to overcome barriers to miracles. Oh, yeah. Verse 39. So Jesus is at the tomb, the cave with the stone rolled in front. He's feeling anger. He was angry as they started to go to the tomb. He wept on the way to the tomb. And when he got to the tomb, the Bible says he was still angry or groaning, snorting. He was still feeling all these emotions at the tomb. Watch what he says. Roll the stone aside. Jesus told them. But Martha, the man's sister, protested. Girl, you better, better get back in your place. What you doing protesting to Jesus, girl? You tripping? What's wrong with you? You can't talk to Jesus like that, girl. What's wrong? You better, you better act right. You protesting to Jesus? What the heck? Do you know sometimes we protest in silence? We protest by sitting our blessed assurance in a seat and not doing what Jesus told us to do. Jesus said, roll the stone aside. Martha said, no. Lord, it's been, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded. Did not tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? 
Four days. You know what happens to the human body at four days? And this, I studied, I researched it. This is after we started the whole embalming process thing. But, but he, he didn't get that. Let me tell you what happens to the human body after four days. There's four stages of, of decomposition. And I'm going to tell you all four of them right before you go eat. <laughs> Stage one is what's called autolysis. Four minutes after you die, your body starts to decay. Four minutes. Four minutes after you take your last breath and your heart beats for the last time, your body starts the, de the, the decaying process. The second stage of bloat, I mean, second stage of decomposition is called bloating. Bloating occurs at three to five days. Moses was dead. I mean, Moses. <laughs> Lazarus was dead how many days? He was right in the middle of bloating. So when Martha said the smell will be terrible, she wasn't lying. When the body starts to bloat, it swells. Gases get released inside and it causes pressure for fluids in the form of, like blood in the form of foam to start coming out of the mouth and the nose and the organs are already breaking down. It stank, y'all. The third one is active decay, where you really start to see it. And the fourth one is skeletonization. Lazarus was in stage two when Jesus called him out of the grave. But Jesus says to Martha's protest, didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? Here you go, verse 41. This is a good verse. So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus doesn't mind if you disagree as long as you still do. So you need to learn how to do while you disagree. As long as you doing while you disagree and you still good. Come on somebody. So they rolled the stone aside then Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Watch this. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Jesus prayed out loud. It's not recorded how many times Jesus prayed out loud, but I don't remember reading very many times at all that Jesus prayed out loud. In fact, most of the time, Jesus would get away to a solitary place to talk to the Father in private, but this time, in front of this crowd of mourners, he says out loud his prayer to God. I wonder why. Thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. <laughs> but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe you sent me. That's the connection in the glories. This is the connecting point. Jesus, if he heals Lazarus without talking to the Father, they miss out on the connection between Jesus and the Father. This is good stuff. <laughs> Jesus makes the connection. Here we go, verse 43, the famous verse. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. He shouted it. 
Lazarus, come out. Back in the day, I used to scream that out loud and scare the mess out of everybody. I'm not going to do that today. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Wow. Wow. Mary, uh, Martha protested. Why do you think she protested? It's important. You've got to understand why she protested. She protested for a reason. There was a reason she stood against Jesus in that moment, because that's what a protest is. She stood against his will for her brother. She stood against it. Why? Why did she stand against the miracle? Why did she create a barrier to the miracle? Why did she do that? you got to learn how to ask the why questions in the Bible. Why did, Mar- did Martha do that? You ever considered? Maybe she didn't want any further embarrassment. Maybe she didn't want to feel any more pain than she was currently feeling. Maybe she didn't want to be any more disappointed than she currently was. Maybe she didn't want her sister to sense and feel those things. Maybe she didn't want to have that to be the last image she sees of her brother. Because if Jesus don't do what I think he can do, then I'm going to be set up for more disappointment, more pain, more struggle. Common sense would say if Jesus wants to do something in your life, then just let him do it. But experience says that's not always the case. Because there's certain things in our lives that we don't trust Jesus with yet. That's part of your spiritual journey is learning how to trust Jesus with what you don't trust him with right now. That's part of your journey. That's part of the pressure you feel as a Christian. Why do I need to unsettle my life and trust Jesus to do this? Why should I let him do this in my life when I'm not sure if it's going to work out? Why do I need to take this next step spiritually if I'm not sure what's going to happen? I think it's already dead. I think it's going to be bad. Some will protest. No. I mean, think about what she said. She was literally saying, do not uncover my brother. Do not call him out of that grave. Do not do anything else with my brother. She was living in if-only thinking. She settled in the land of if-onlys. And she got comfortable with the if-only. And she was preparing her life to live with this if-only for her brother. Why do we struggle when Jesus wants to get into the most gruesome parts of our life? Why do we struggle so bad? Same as Martha. Embarrassment. Fear of more pain. Fear of disappointment. And the what ifs. What if he don't heal them? 
I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know what to do if he don't heal him. I don't know if I'll make it. She was probably concerned what other people might think if her brother got uncovered. She believed he was too far gone. He was already in stage two. She called it. It's going to smell. It's not going to be pretty. She was 100% correct in her understanding in the natural. But born again people have to live in the natural, but we get to play in the supernatural. That's why Paul said in Romans 12 too, to let God transform you by changing the way you think. You're still thinking naturally. You need to start thinking supernaturally like anything is possible. Everything is possible. Even this dead thing is possible. With Jesus, we have to learn to consider the supernatural. He shouts Lazarus' name. Very interesting. Most theologians believe if he wouldn't have called Lazarus' name, all the dead would have raised. That's cute. But when you actually dig into it and think about it and process it with some seriousness, that is the power that Jesus possesses. Because if he can call Lazarus out, he can call everyone out. He can call anyone who's died out. Instead, he had to be specific for Lazarus because it wasn't time for all of them to come out. Which means this, that there's something dead in your life that has a name and Jesus knows its name and he can call it out and it'll come back to life. Because that's the power he possesses. He calls things back to life. Some of you put an X on your marriage. You put an X on your kids. You put an X on emotional health. You put an X on all kinds of things. Jesus is going to take your X stamp, and he's going to show up supernaturally, and he's going to blow your mind. Just because you say it's dead doesn't mean that it's dead to him. I'm 65 years old. I have no dreams left. None of my dreams got fulfilled. Really? You thought those dreams were cool at 20. How cool you think they would be at 60? A lot more cooler. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Last thing, and then I'm, I'm going to try to bring it to a close. Lazarus comes out of the grave shuffling. That's probably how he had to walk because he was bound. His feet were bound. His arms were bound. And he had a covering across his head. So he comes walking out. I wonder what they thought. <laughs> like seriously, I wanted to be the bird on the tree like, 
right? I mean, like, like who passed out? Some, some, somebody had to pass. Some weak person had to, come on. <laughs> Sister so-and-so done fainted. <laughs> pick up, pick up. That's where the Benny Hinn ministry got started. He comes out bound, shuffling, not able to walk fast, not able to walk freely, not able to use his limbs again, not able to see or hear because he's bound and he's wrapped. But Jesus did a miracle. He's alive. Come on. He's alive, but he's bound. He's alive. He was dead and he was bloated. He was stank. I bet the... The stink had to go away. Right? I mean, it had to be a supernatural thing. Come on, it's supernatural for stink to go away in an instant. Amen? Don't make me give an example. <laughs> he, he comes out and he's all bound up. He can't see. He can't hear. But he's coming because Jesus called his name and he has to respond to Jesus calling his name. And he comes out, and then Jesus does this crazy thing in the middle of all this. He just brought a dude from death into life. And then he tells the people next to him to unwrap him. I'm like, bro, you called, you unwrap him. He said, y'all unwrap him. Even though Jesus could have unwrapped Lazarus himself, he chose to use others to set him free. So I don't understand how we can at times move into isolation and still expect to find freedom. I don't understand independent Christians and independent thinking. I don't understand that because everywhere I read in the scriptures, Jesus is always using people with people. He could have unbound him himself, but instead he said, y'all do it. Why? Because Jesus has put people in your life to help you walk free. Not only set you free, but to help you stay free. Jesus sets you free, but people help you to remain free. And that's the way he chooses to do it. So you can't be a Lone Ranger Christian. Which means this, that when you get around some people who want to unwrap some stuff in your life and you don't like it, you're going to have to take it. Because if you get mad about it and you walk away and you isolate yourself, you set yourself up for failure. Some of the hardest unwrappings I've ever had in my life is when people that I trusted told me what I was doing with my kids was wrong. When someone would tell me I should be treating my wife better. What you mean? I didn't want that to be unwrapped. When people told me I was angry and I had an attitude and, and all these other things, what you talking about? Don't get mad at them, bro. Jesus just sent them to pull that bandage off of you. Oh, I know it hurts. And Jesus knows it hurts. Because see, after four days, you know about them bobo bandages. They stick. They scabs. Jesus said, y'all, unwrap him. What if Jesus is telling you to set somebody else loose? 
You ever thought about what it looks like when you don't do it? You know how many people are still walking around like this? Because you won't set them free? You won't even forgive them. Bound. He was alive, but he was bound. Today, more than ever, we need others in our lives. It's part of God's freedom plan for us. Amen? Quick summary, then the team, y'all can start coming up. Here's the quick summary. Number one, delay is not always denial. Delay is not always denial. Number two, we will learn in every moment of life. Imagine what the disciples walked away with that day. Remembering that only moments before they were objecting to going back that direction. Only moments before they were saying, well, if he's asleep, then he's going to wake up. Think they felt like an idiot afterwards? (laughs) The lessons they learned in that moment. Think about how they saw Jesus after Lazarus come out of that grave. I'd have been like, bro, who the heck are we connected to? Like, all the other stuff was really cool, but, like, this is the, Number three, when something seems dead, at least be a Mary or a Martha. Just stay with Jesus. Just stay with Jesus. Keep walking with Jesus. I know he knows it hurts. I know it hurts. It's painful. It's discouraging. It's disappointing. It hurts. But just keep walking with Jesus. When he calls your name, come. When you hear he's close by, pursue him. Even when something seems dead in your life, just keep following Jesus. Number four, Jesus can resurrect anything. Jesus can resurrect my things. And then number five, invite others into your life because they can unwrap some things for you. You never know you got lettuce in your teeth unless you got a friend close enough to say it. You never know you got something hanging out your nose unless you got a friend that loves you enough to tell you. Invite others in to your life. That's a you responsibility. Pray. Not everybody needs to be this close to your life, but you need to pray and ask God who needs to be. And then you need to invite them into your life. 
because most people don't want to barge in. They just want to have an opinion from the outside. So let's pray. Let's see what the Lord wants to do. Maybe you're here today and you've not even started a relationship with Jesus and you got a rough past or you got some things behind you that sometimes make you feel unworthy. God sent his son for all of those who would believe, for everyone who believe. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, maybe that's you. You've never started a relationship with Jesus and you say, man, how do I even get started with Jesus? Like, I feel like I'm so far away from this and in reality you're really not you're just one decision away from everything changing nobody looking around if that's you and you say man I, I don't know where I stand with Jesus I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus or not if that's you just raise your hand real quick real quick anybody else say, man, I just don't know I'm not sure okay Awesome. Let me lead you in a prayer. The prayer is not going to save you. Jesus is going to save you, but it's a prayer just to teach you how to respond to Jesus in a moment like this because sometimes we just don't know how to respond. So say this with me, church, all of us together. Lord Jesus, I realize today I'm lost without you. I realize... I don't really have a relationship with you, but I want one. I want to know you well, and I want you to know me well. So Jesus, I give you my life. I accept what you did on the cross for me. It washed away my sin and it brought me into friendship with you. I believe that God raised you from the grave and you're alive today. And this relationship I'm asking for is real. So Jesus, would you make yourself real to me today. I accept you and I surrender to you. Would you be the Lord of my life? I give you control. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for your word. so grateful for how we get to see you because of Lazarus' story. I love all the things that we learn about you in this story, Jesus. Your great compassion for us. Your 
quest to save as many as would follow. You love us enough to allow us to suffer with you so that others could come to you. For some of us, Jesus, we need to repent today because we've been some complaining folk. We've been shallow thinking only of ourselves. I pray that our trust in you and our faith in you would rise. And like Lazarus and Martha and Mary, I pray that we would have a relationship like that also. A high trust relationship. So that, Lord, even when things don't work out like we think, we're not running, we're not going nowhere, we're not quitting, we're not hiding, we're not boudaying. We're walking in the pain right alongside of you. walking in the disappointment right alongside of you. So Jesus, today, we thank you for your word. Seal it upon our hearts. And I pray, Lord, today that every dead thing in our life will become done, will come back to life at the calling of your name. So we love you, Lord. We bless you.